is not a techie, and I do not want to be one. But I want to say good morning, John, you blessed us, and your granddaughter. There's a lot of old stuff that's still good. It's good to be in the house of, <clears throat> of the Lord this morning. I left my Bible over there because I have written here from that word, so don't think I'm going to speak of what is in me, but what's in that book. I feel a little bit like Pee Wee Herman in a tough man contest this morning, <laughs> trying to, to follow a legend. We are so blessed to have Richard. And uh, I, uh, I wanted to say no, but I told the Lord a long time ago, Richard, if there was something I could do, I would try. And uh, I felt like, since I had spoken to the deacons, this same message, an abbreviated version, that, uh, and Richard thought it worthy of coming here, that I would come and do that. He asked me to stand in this place today, so you can blame him. And uh, I uh, look forward to uh, what the Lord will say. I had a friend call me from Texas this morning to say I'm praying for you, so. Uh, feel good about that and I'm not a public speaker nor a theologian so don't judge Sammy the speaker judge the content it's from God and uh, before I go any further I want to share a word of testimony as a nine-year-old boy in vacation Bible school I've followed a number of my friends from the pew to the altar when the pastor gave an invitation. I was baptized and received a baptismal certificate. And frankly, that's about all I got. You may be wondering, what kind of guy are you? Well, I'm an honest guy. If I had died between the ages of 90 and 30, they probably would have preached Brother Paul is now with Jesus, but they would have been wrong. I was not with Jesus. For 21 years, I was a lost church member. I'm afraid there are still way too many of those or the churches would not be in decline. Amen? And I was still going the way of the world. I had not been changed. But God in His grace and mercy was watching over me and He gave me a second chance. And a man who I worked with and respected his life so much, he was so consistent. And if you gave him 30 seconds, he's going to talk to you about Jesus, not about church, about Jesus. And he invited me to revival services. I reluctantly agreed to go. They were a good many weeks off, so it was easy to agree. And I went. I made an awful mistake. I sat out on the next to the back pew at a Baptist church. And I'll tell you, that's a mistake. When the altar call is given, you got a long way to go. And when the Spirit of God says go, you don't have a choice. And so that's really what happens to me. I sat there, I listened to the preacher, I listened to the music. We got up to sing the invitation hymn and I looked at my watch and I said, good, two more minutes and I'm out of here. That was me. God had a different plan. We stood and sang that old hymn, Lord, I'm Coming Home. Remember that one? Mm -hmm. And boy, uh, I, 
I was just ready to leave. And I, I didn't know what happened to me, but I was overwhelmed uh, with guilt. The Lord had a better plan for me than I, I had been carrying out. He always does, and for you too, that's the good news. God's always got a better plan, Richard, than we got. And we can be thankful for that. The pastor had me stay after everyone left. I guess I was so bad. It was a small town, and everybody knew all about everybody else. And so they knew about the bad ones too. I suppose he knew how much I needed guidance and counseling to grow as a real Christian. He gave me the best advice I ever received. And he expected me to grow and share the great joy that I was then experiencing. I cannot tell you what happened. I now know I found out later what had happened to me. And I was so glad to be free of guilt and sin. I did a miracle. I did it all. Even started tithing. That was a miracle. It's a good thing the, the book's already written or it wouldn't be in there. It was that miraculous for our little family. See, God expects something from you and I. And that's the way it gives us uh, why He gives us so awesome power and enables us. All we have to do is to be willing. Now, That was 50 years ago. I was a lost church member for, for 21 years. I have now become a born-again servant of God through the forgiveness of Christ. And hear me well, the awesome power of the Holy Spirit of God. The power of the church. The Holy Spirit. We don't hear it as often as we should hear it. We maybe hear it more than we hear it in a lot of places, but it's the Spirit of God that does the work of God. Now, when I first read about Peter's encounter with God's Holy Spirit and read those verses for the first time, I realized exactly what had happened to me. God had set me free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now become one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 317. And liberty is not a right to do as I please, but to do as I ought. And Lee, God had set me free, and I was free indeed. It's a paradox. On the night I was the most submitted, I was also the most liberated. That's hard to explain to a person that it's never happened to, but I know you folks understand. Jesus, the incarnate one who laid aside his crown of glory and was baptized by John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, we see the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove. Now, let me tell you, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit? And so we see that happening and alighting on him and God's voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There we see all three of the Trinity in one place. God speaking to the Son and the Holy Spirit descending on the Son. And then in chapter 4, Jesus was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I believe to prove that the Holy Spirit was able to empower him so he could resist whatever evil came against him. I believe God the Father was showing God the Son, you are able by the power of the Spirit. 
And we just celebrated Jesus entering the human family. This is the marvel of history. Jesus is both God and man. As God, he said, I and my Father are one. That's John 10, 30. As a man, he said, my Father is greater than I. And I want to, I want to transition now to a, a, another uh, book, Esther. It's a short, seemingly insignificant little book. God calls me to read through it one day without stopping. I just read through the whole, whole thing. It's only nine chapters. And it's remarkable because the name of God is not mentioned. Prayer is not mentioned in the book. Our spiritual lifeline is not even mentioned. The book of Esther is never quoted in the New Testament, but the heathen power that's in place is mentioned 192 times. And we see a pagan court uh, of a great monarch who ruled over the then known world. Now, that's what we see in this little book. But that's where we get the title of this message for times such as this. By not returning to Israel when Cyrus made the decree that the Israelites could go back to home, to Israel, the great number, <coughs> excuse me, several million of the Jews stayed in the land of captivity. This was not the will of God. But we see God, our God of grace, still protecting them. And they, for the most part, forgot God. They were far from Him. The Israelites are silent in that little book. They're not praising God at all, nor are they praying to Him. They are just before being slaughtered in mass and wiped out, and they don't know it. They've settled into the culture. God help God's people not to settle into the culture of today. Amen? They had settled. They were going with the flow. And it is one of only two books in God's Word that are named for a woman. Esther took a very courageous stand for such a time as this. At Esther 4, 14, it was a time of change and uncertainty. But she said, I will go to the king, which is against the law. If he didn't like it, she was dead. And if I perish, I perish. That's, that's a wonderful attitude for a Christian to have, isn't it? If I perish, I perish. But I'm going to carry out God's will. Now, it was an eventful time. We live in a very eventful time in history. Eventful globally, in our country, in the realm of Christianity, and certainly eventful in God's church. I'm sure you're aware of all the forces at work, most of which cause us concern. Our history being right, writ, uh, rewritten, American history, with the omission of God. His name is left out. Uh, no public mention of Christ, considered hate speech. Can you imagine that? That mentioning the name of Christ is hate speech. A profound decline in morality, nuclear proliferation, political correctness. Profound hateful divisions in a nation whose Pledge of Allegiance is includes one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. My, how far we move from that. Most of us have lived a long time. 
We have observed a great deal of history, including the changes in the churches. Let me give you a figure. The most concerning of all is that 83% of the churches in South Carolina are in decline. Were you aware of that? 83%. Now, an attempted remedy all too often in many of those churches has been a change in methods and <clears throat> worship styles and a watered-down gospel and easy believism. Oh, you just come and be one and you'll really love it. And it won't cost you anything. It will cost you something. We know that it'll cost you something, but God always gives back far more than we give. Now, more specifically, it's an eventful time for our church, for this God's church here. With the change in leadership, and I know you're as encouraged as I am with Wes, and I think every Sunday he preaches more boldly and uh, more challengingly, which we all need. Now, we have lived a long time, and our God is not surprised by what is happening. It didn't slip up on him. When a lost person is truly saved or born again, the Holy Spirit becomes resident in that believer forever to God, to empower, to unite, and to always point to Christ. The Holy Spirit always reminds us it is by the blood of Christ that we have been set free and helps us then to do what we ought. The Holy Spirit is beyond description. I cannot describe it. I only know how it impacted my life when he did. Now, it's reasonable for us to know our Lord would never call or expect his followers to represent him faithfully and without cultural compromise unless he provides the power for us to do just that. In one of our deacons meetings, Byron Henson, a good friend of mine who faced death and came out of that a strong, powerful Christian, asked this question, are you, as his disciple, committed to following Jesus? He didn't ask, are you committed to being religious? He said, are you really committed to following Jesus a second time? Thought-provoking question for every one of us. But Peter, as Jesus' disciple, and I want to talk a whole lot about this this morning, is an outstanding example relative following Jesus. Do you remember, I'm sure you read this, when Peter so sincerely, after Jesus told all of his disciples, you will, you will fall away. And Peter said, so sincerely, I will die, Lord, before I fall away. And he was convinced, but Peter was still in the flesh. He was convinced that he could do that. And when Peter's time of testing, Jesus told him, he said, the rooster won't crow until you've denied me three times. When Peter's testing came, he followed Jesus at a distance. I like better what the King James says, he followed afar off. He was following, but he was following afar off. And when the testing came, Peter was intimidated by not an armed soldier, 
but a servant girl. Remember that? She said, you're one of his. He said, oh, oh, oh no, uh, I, I don't know him. And Peter, he was just, he was so broken. Peter in denial said, I'm not one of his disciples. He said it three times. And the rooster didn't crow. Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And Peter wept bitterly. Now he was a broken, ashamed disciple. He was a follower. But following afar off. We've got to make certain we're not following afar off. It, and... Uh, he had been with Jesus for three years. And I want to go back just a second and say this. When we follow afar off, the world really don't know that we are following who we're following. That's why it's so important to have a life that backs up what our voices say. You folks know that. I'm preaching to the choir. But he asked me to, and I preached to the choir when I, when I uh, did this with the deacons because I believe it's what the church needs to hear today. The power is not us, but the power is in us. Available to be strong and to be faithful. Now, Peter failed. And he had seen Jesus do wonderful miracles. After he had spent three years with Jesus, he saw the wonderful miracles, but he still failed. You've seen Jesus raise the dead. It was because he did not yet have the power of God. You see, God had given the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as needed to Samson, various people, and then removed the Holy Spirit. But until Pentecost, it had not occurred for all believers. And what was missing? The Holy Spirit power. Jesus had clearly promised his disciples, you and I, but thank God that's not the end of the story. Something profound happened to change Peter, God's Holy Spirit. So empowered, emboldened Peter on the promised day of Pentecost that God raised him up. A denier gave him the honor to preach the first sermon in the church. Now that is the grace of God for Peter and for you and I always, all the time. What grace he demonstrated. Now Pentecost was such a joyous occasion the townspeople thought these followers of Christ were drunk. And now we see a different Peter who stood up, raised his voice, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and bravely preached the first sermon in the church. He was a new Peter. What happened? Recorded in Acts 2, 14 through 41. Only 3,000 people were born again. The Holy Spirit was so powerful. The former trembling uh, coward stood and now, get this, after he had seen Jesus brutally crucified, but he was no longer intimidated. And then Peter boldly preached the incredible power of the Holy Spirit. He preached wonderful truth for you and I also. Acts 2.38, then Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now get this, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for this promise is to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many 
as the Lord our God will call. End of quote. That includes you and I. Every believer after Pentecost, every born again believer has the resident spirit of God to help us live our faith. That's a wonderful thing. And I, and I finally realized what had happened to me. It is a precious gift, God's great power to equip us to live faithfully for Him and do the things to advance the kingdom. Now just how powerful is the Holy Spirit? Powerful enough for God to raise a dead Jesus from the tomb. Jesus what? D-E-A-D. He did not raise himself. God sent the Holy Spirit to raise a dead Christ. Now, you may, you may be asking, how does all of this relate to us at First Baptist Church as God's called out disciples? What does he really expect of you and I, regardless of what the world is up to? We are not of the world, even though we are in the world. You've heard that over and over, but we need to be reminded sometimes, regardless of what it's up to. It's expressed to his original dis disciples in his discourse in the upper room. And I want you to really hear this. John 14, 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, his disciples, we are his disciples, he who also believes in me, the works that I do, and he will do also, and greater works than these will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now you heard correctly. Greater works we will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's pretty big stuff. In verses 15 to 17, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. For he dwells in you and will be in you. The power of God. A promise to every true born-again believer. Now, Jesus made a promise with expectancy here to his disciples and to you and I as his present day disciples. Jesus had performed tremendous miracles and works here on the earth, primarily in Judea. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he stilled the sea. He simply spoke and calmed the ocean. But what is the greater thing he promised his disciples would do? He promised that. You will do greater things. What was it? Peter's message at Pentecost brought 3,000 followers to Jesus at one time. The number of people his disciples have touched during the intervening years would number in the billions. Is that greater work? Greater work? Making disciples. He has called us to make disciples. The disciples were able to do this work because Christ would go to the Father and send the Holy Spirit to them and to you and I. Another helper that he may abide with you forever. A helper, a counselor, an advocate to help us. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, for he dwells with you and will be 
in you the power of God, a promise to every born-again believer. Now, the supreme accomplishment, the greater works, is to bring men and women into a right relationship with God. God's gift of Holy Spirit makes this possible with every one of us. I want to ask you a question. In view of declining church membership, church closings, and cultural trends, could the common missing power in too many churches be the Holy Spirit of God? Could it be the absence of God's Holy Spirit leading to an unwillingness to go and make disciples? It's hard. It, 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 take, it takes some courage. And I think it takes God's Spirit to question somebody. Are you a follower of Christ? And then to share the gospel with them. But, that's the main thing. I believe last words are lasting words. I like the absolutes of God's word. And here's what he said, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority, all, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. You said, you're not going by yourself. I'm going to God who spoke and energized the Son. I'm going with you. I will be with you. Now, William Booth, and I want to say this before I, I, I say this thing I'm about to say. No church will decline if that is the main thing. If that is the main thing. Friends, acquaintances, work relationships, wherever. No church will decline if God's people are obeying and keeping the main thing, the main thing. Not talking about church, talking about Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of a Savior. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, warned us many years ago, the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without Holy Spirit. And when you really think about it, that, that is where the church yields to the culture and uh, where the culture not rather than where the, the culture yields to the church. Trying to do God's work in the flesh apart from God's Holy Spirit is always futile. It does not work. I'm convinced we presently have a choice, it's very clear, not to be influenced nor discouraged by present trends, but to rely on the Holy Spirit of God. The gospel isn't just something we come to church to hear, but something we go forth to tell. Not always easy, but it's always right, and God promised He'll always go with us. Did the failing churches fail to keep the main thing, the main thing? I'm absolutely convinced there is no greater worship of God than obedience to His Word. We can do all kinds of other things, but I believe that's the greatest worship we can ever give our Savior when we follow His commandments in his book of truth. Now, 
1 Samuel 15, 22 verifies that to obey is better than sacrifice. God has not saved us to be silent disciples. He has saved us to rescue lost people by the power of His Spirit. I know you know that, but every once in a while we all need to be reminded. I do, and I don't think there's any difference. People, you know, we just make a living different ways, but so on and so forth. Many years ago, I was crushed as my beloved pastor announced his calling to another church. I sat under him for about two years after I was saved, and I was like a baby bird, uh, just waiting on the to be fed. I sat on the second row. They wouldn't let me sit on the first row. That was for people who were being saved. And uh, I just, uh, I just, he helped me grow so much. That Sunday he said, the future is greater than the past. Let the past be an inspiration only. But I must admit, I was a sad skeptic of that statement. Sometimes we look and we say, what in the world is going on? Well, God's people have a big influence on what is going on. Uh, over many years, God has shown me the wisdom of those words. The future is greater than the past. We at First Baptist have a wonderful past, without question. But that's what it is, our past, and it is irretrievable. We can't go back, but there's better news. We still have the future to be shaped into whatever we are individually and collectively willing to allow the Holy Spirit of God to help us to do. We have the power of God to validate our decisions. Now think seriously about this. The God, as I said earlier, who spoke and energized the Son, created the world, has called you and I and equipped us with the gospel and the Holy Spirit. How will I re respond to do the most important work in the world and to represent him on the earth full time? Yes, I said that. I know you could, you could say it, represent. I said represent, because that's what God has called us to do. For such a time as this, and that's what, they, what Mordecai said to Esther, for such a time as this, an eventful time. I want to share a thing, I'm not very proud of it, but I want to tell you about it. I was in New Orleans after Hugo, we were doing food distribution from Celebration Church. It was the last day, five minutes till five, and an elderly couple came walking in and, and he could barely walk, and she took a cart and started through the line, and he sat down. And the Spirit of God reminded me I should ask him if, if he knew Jesus. And I looked at my watch, and I was worn out, and I didn't want to do it. And I said, somebody else will do it. And the Spirit of God said, Paul, you better do it. He didn't say it quite like I just said it, but, but he said it. And I knew I better do it. So I walked over to him and I asked him, I said, are you a Christian? That's not the best thing to ask. <laughs> but that's what I asked him, I was worn out. And he said, well, I'm gonna say it exactly in, in his vernacular. He said, I go to church and I try to live right. And I said, well, sir, 
I'll, I'll use an example here. I go in my garage, but that don't make me a car. And I said, wouldn't you really like to have the peace of God in your life and all this calamity? He looked at me, sincerely, John, and he said, I sure would. And so, buddy, we got down to business, shared the gospel. He prayed the sinner's prayer. I said, now tell me about yourself. He said, well, my name is Clarence. And he said, I'm 87 years old. And he said, me and my wife, I'm, I'm telling you exactly what he said, me and my wife ain't got nothing but that old car out there. Katrina got the rest of it. He said, I'm living with my son. And I found out three weeks ago, I have multiple myeloma. And I thought, here I sit, a little bit tired, unwilling to share the most important thing that ever happened to me. And I thank God he gave me a whipping that morning, or that afternoon. I kept up with Clarence and he lived almost three months. But I said all that to say this, when God tells us to do something, it is for a purpose. And here's the most important word. It will be with His power. And He will give us whatever we need to go and make disciples. The future is greater than the past. When God, the Holy Spirit, indwells and leads us forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the precious privilege of calling you our Father. And we just thank you, Lord, for the day when you touched our hearts and you changed our lives and you called us out to be salt and light. And Lord, how much we need to be light in a dark world today. So we just ask you, Lord, to renew us all. It's the beginning of a new year. God, we ask you to help us to invite people to eternal life and God to be about the work of the church. The future is greater than the past if we allow you to help us to make it so. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.